Okay, so there's an old way of thinking about volunteers. It says we need volunteers to pull off what we are trying to do. We need to teach people how to love one another. I only need X amount of volunteers to do this. It's nice that some attendees volunteer at my church. That's not what we're thinking anymore. Volunteering is what we are doing. Volunteering is actually doing ministry. It's actually what we're called to do. Volunteering is how we love people. How, when you come into church, like we're here to love one another. Well, how do you do it? Well, I lay down my life so that like, you might experience the service in a certain way, right? I'm going to have as many volunteers as possible because if I have more volunteers, then more people are laying down their life for Jesus. The volunteers are the church. They are the church. And I said, things to remember, this is just because I, I was doing this at another church. Um, we volunteer at our church once every four weeks. That is, um, no, that's not done overnight, but like, so let me just, I was telling somebody this today at the meeting. Can you imagine going up to somebody and said, would you like to never be in church again and go serve in a children's room? It's like, geez, well, no. Hey, would you go serve in a children's room and help these kids realize who Jesus is once every four weeks? Yeah, I can do that. You know what I mean? But I think what we, the, the commitment level that we ask people to do is so big, it's like, man, if we would have just asked them to do this, we could have had them at this or every other week, every three weeks. But what I recommend at a church is that every volunteer, every place that has volunteers get on the same cycle so that husbands and wives can volunteer at the same time in different ministries. So like the tech booth schedule and the worship schedule actually fall in line. Same with uh, the greeters or the ushers, and it's, whether it's once every other week, once every three weeks, once every four weeks, whatever it looks like, so that there'd be unity among volunteering in the church. Volunteering... That sounded like a systems thing you just said. It is a systems it thing. It was Greek. Yeah. Volunteering is the first step to connecting. So when, when people say, like, I don't feel connected... It's because you're not serving. Like that is the first step to actually connecting to our church is actually volunteering. I don't know how you're gonna get to know people if you don't volunteer because that's where our teams are. So we're moving from get to give. And what I mean by that, step one in the Christian life is to deny yourself. So we are not the recipients of people's money, time, and energy, but rather a community, uh, a community a person participates in to give back to God. So attendance, for every volunteer you have, four and a half other people attend the church. Therefore, true engagement with your community starts with your attendees volunteering. With every person that does not volunteer, nearly five people don't come to church. Those who volunteer attend more regularly than those who don't. Therefore, those who don't volunteer don't attend regularly or are on their way out. We have a season with people to get them to this stage of discipleship. Those who volunteer are much more likely to invite friends and family. Therefore, people invite others to things that they are fully engaged in, not casual about. Volunteers, on average, are worth $24 an hour. So you might say, well, we don't need, need volunteers. Volunteers, $24 an hour. Volunteers are incredibly valued to a, valuable to a church. And like we have a ton of them, and they bring a lot of value to us. Therefore, the true value at, at church is those who serve. If we don't steward our connection processes, then we are not stewarding the church. So volunteers are 66% more likely to donate financially to the organization they support than those who don't volunteer their time. Therefore, volunteering is often the doorway to someone taking the next step of giving. 
Volunteering and giving are forms of humility that God will bless and give his grace to. So that's like incredible when people begin to actually lay down their finances, which is their time, which is actually like what they worked for, for the kingdom. And they actually lay down their, like themselves when they come to church. Like you guys want to, what's the phrase? Be disciples, make disciples. Like that's what a disciple, a disciple is someone who denies themselves, lays down their life, right? So that has to be a part of the system. If it's not part of the system, then they're not, it'll just be a cool saying as opposed to like actualizing like the concrete evidence that we are doing it is volunteering. So I don't know how many people volunteer actually do. There's around 10 people, maybe 11 people that volunteer here on a Sunday morning. Times that by four and a half, five, four. You get about 55 people here on a Sunday, right? So I'm not saying therefore you need to have 20 volunteers and you'll have 100. Like that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is that as you slowly add volunteers, the community just grows. It has to, because that's how it works. If you go up to any pastor, and I challenge you to do this and say, how many volunteers do you have on a Sunday morning? Times it by five, and then tell them how many people they had come to church that Sunday. That's usually how it works. So um, volunteers under the age of 24, this is so important, account for 22.6% of all volunteers. Therefore, there is a place to teach our young people to serve. Serve. If you've not made it easy for young people to serve, you are missing a crucial part of the army. Young people need an expectation laid upon them to serve if they are going to perceive their own value in a church. So like I was telling you guys, like, you know, it was awesome seeing these young people up here, right? You guys do whatever you got to do to get young people here and serving, right? Young people here and serving. My kid is 10 years old and he serves, he serves in praise land, which is threes and fours at our church, he's also in the prayer room and he heals people back there. And he's seen, he's seen God like do miracles and stuff, it's so awesome. And like I've prayed that that would be a part of his life. But like if people go back there and this kid lays hands on him and like God heals them through him and he's 10 and he's in a little cubby by himself with them, you know? And uh, he's not intimidated, he's prayed for cancer, you know what I mean? Like he just lays hands on him and says, be healed in Jesus' name. So. Why am I saying that? Because it doesn't matter the age of the kid, right? Like, people love seeing young people serve, right? It actually brings life to the church. My eight-year-old serves with the fours and threes. She's a helper there. Actually, she's seven. I don't know my kids' ages. Um, here's another fact. Over 71% of volunteers work with only one organization each year. Would you rather have them working for a secular place or would you rather have them working for the church? I'd rather have them working for the church. 67% of people uh, found volunteer opportunities online um, versus 34% in 2006. You can see that, I mean, we're, we're in 2022 now. People raise their efforts to the level of your expectation. Therefore, by omitting a volunteer emphasis, you teach people to be consumers. And nobody wants that in the church. Nobody wants 10% of the people doing all the work. Right? Now, here's a plan of action. I'm not telling you guys that you have to do this. This is what we did. I got so tired of summertime coming around and not having our children's ministry put together. I was like, I can't do this. I cannot like, be picking people out of the congregation on a Sunday morning to try to go and fill roles. Right? So we picked out 18 weeks a year in which we dedicated to getting volunteers. 
So what we would do is we let some of our core leaders come up. Like uh, we actually did it on video, they were or on video. Some of them were at the front of the stage, and every week we'd let a core leader say, "Hey, my name's so and so. I'm actually in charge of this ministry. We actually have signups in the back today. Um, if you guys want to go ahead and sign up for them, you guys can." And some people are going to sign up emotionally. Like I have all those cards on there. I think like 16 people signed up, and eight of them already are volunteering. So we have eight people, eight people, who aren't volunteering anywhere that signed up today. Did they do it because they were scared to hell not to? I don't know. You know what I mean? But we've got their names. And if you, could you imagine eight new people volunteering? That's like 23% more volunteers like, like that. You know what I mean? You pick out 18 weeks a year in which you, at the end of the sermon or at the beginning of the sermon, call people to action and actually ask them to volunteer how many volunteers you'd actually have. It'd be pretty awesome. So we picked out 18 weeks. We did it six weeks, six weeks, six weeks, like that. Uh, we told them the why. Why do we serve? It's not what, what we do. It's why we do it. Anytime we give announcements, we don't talk about what we're doing. The bulletin will tell you that, right? We tell them why we're doing it. Why are we doing a potluck? Not, hey, guys, this is what we're bringing to the potluck. Why do we do a potluck, right? And so we created a, a big, hairy, audacious goal around how many volunteers you want to gain for each volunteer sprint. Example, 10% of the attendance. So for us, that was like about 45 volunteers. We ended up getting 50. We have a sign-up table in the lobby manned by leaders of the ministry. We create a pathway to volunteering um, online for adults and children and teens. We got so many volunteers that there is no room for burnout. I've never had it. Nobody would dare tell me at our church, I just can't keep volunteering. It's too much. It's once every four weeks, one service every four weeks. Like, no one's burning out, right? Um, we have an overall church goal of how many volunteers you want to see each year. Give leader goals around creating new volunteer positions and filling them. That's where the 20% came from. So that is why I'm passionate about volunteers, because volunteers are the church. And I think a lot of times people talk about, well, they're like... Um, Man, there, there's, there's, uh, there's so many, there's this many people in the room. Yeah, but how many volunteers are in the room? So we're not counting the numbers of people that are here. We're counting the people that are laying down their life. Because if that number increases, it provides an opportunity. Like, let's just say you guys have 40 volunteers on a Sunday. Over the course, well, no, let's just say you have 10. You can only hold that many people. I don't know why it's that way. I, I, do, I do believe that like, if we don't equip people to do the work of the ministry, God won't trust us with more people. That's what I really think it is. If you had 20 people here on a Sunday, let's just say every two weeks, every two weeks, right? Then that's how many people start attending. But why? Because that's how many people are serving. That's the number I'm interested in. This number, they're not committed. They're on their way out. They haven't connected yet. Who knows if they'll be here next season. But if somebody's volunteering, they've said yes to the vision, yes to leadership, yes to this church, I'm in. Right? So that's what we're going after. Now, if I'm the, if I'm the leader of a ministry, that's what I'm doing on a Sunday morning as I'm going up to people personally and inviting them to join my ministry. That's why like, you need to get in a place of leading instead of a place of doing because if you're always doing, then no one's recruiting. Make sense? What's easier is if you actually get someone to recruit for you. That always works too. That usually comes out of the leadership team. Is there any questions on that? 
Is anybody intimidated by that? What'd you say? What if you have volunteers that they don't do a good job? You gotta, you gotta tell them what a good job, bad job is. Okay. You gotta. And you say to them, like, hey, like, let's say you're, are you talking about the tech booth? Yeah. Are you back there in the tech booth? He's in charge of that. And, and let's, say, let's say the person's just really bad. I mean, I appreciate, I certainly appreciate the volunteering, but I guess I Yeah. Hey, guys, you, you can't be on your cell phone during service. You gotta put that away. Like, or, or, or people get distracted because you're late with the slides and they're not actually paying attention. Like, the, the visual person is like, has a lot of weight during the service because whatever they're, whatever, they're either in rhythm or they're distracting people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Hijacking what the worship team practiced. Yeah. Two hours twice on. So, that, and that's what I tell them. I say, listen, like, this is, this is the captain's chair back here. This position is so important. It's not light. It's not silly. It's not an entry way to get into some other position. Like, this is really important because if you do a good job and this is what a good job is, then this happens. But if you do this and this is what a bad job is, then this happens and we don't want this to happen. Okay. All right. So what are you going to do with your cell phone? You're going to put it down? Okay. Yeah, let's leave it flat. We're gonna, everyone's going to make it. We're going to be okay. All right. But... I know, like we do it, we, uh, we appreciate the job you're doing, but let me tell you what a good job is. So All that's right. what good job, bad job is. It's, it's painting the picture of what a good job is and what a bad job is. Mm -hmm. If you do that before they do a bad job, then you don't have to feel bad when you say it. Right. Do you know what I mean? But we often wait till someone's doing a bad job before we bring it up. Or we just kind of let them go. We say, I don't, think, I don't think your calling is in the tech booth. And it's like, well, no, we should have told them what a good job, bad job was. You know, God's calling you here anymore. It's time to move on. So you're going to do a bad job somewhere else in the church. Hey, I mean, how can you expect people to, to do a great job unless we continuously, continuously clarify what we expect? Mm -hmm. you know? Well, going back to what you said about parenting, that's all I do as a parent. That's all I do. Yeah, almost every day. Yeah. Sometimes in writing, with clear expectations, in writing. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> that's true. And with a more creative poster the next day. We, yeah, we have a whole, we, we just unveiled a new printout the other night. Oh, that's cool. Oh, boy. Okay, so everybody, is everybody still with me? Because when everybody's ready to check out, I need to know, because we can take a break. Is everybody still with me? Now listen to me. I, I need everybody in this room to understand this one thing. What I, everything that I've said to you, all it requires is baby steps. Have you guys ever seen What About Bob? A long time ago, yeah. yeah. You know how he's taking baby steps? Like he's going like this? It is, it is not like, you know, go do all this stuff now. It is not that. It's like, man, like, I just want to get, I, I had to focus on this for three months. I was terrible at this. I was terrible at telling people why things are important. And like, I, maybe you've experienced this, but I always felt like I whiffed on a Sunday morning or at the pre-meeting meeting where everybody's there and everybody's gathered and it's like, okay, let's get to the order of service. And it's like, no, like, guys, thank you for being here. I'll tell you why this morning is important. Do you guys hear what happened last week? Somebody got healed. Somebody got delivered. Somebody got saved. That can happen this Sunday. And all we have to do is do our best. And if we do our best I, 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 and we humble ourselves, I believe God's going to come and do it again. You know, so I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited for this Sunday to happen. Now, I, I can't wait to hear what the testimonies are next week. Let's go. Now, pick up your order of service. But I was intimidated to do that because I always felt like I did a bad job of that. You know, so...
being a leader, like everybody has to decide something. And you can't fake it. Uh, can you take a picture? Well, you actually have this. You got a picture of that? Let me just, this stuff is getting out of here. We, you have that, you have that. Just that stuff there. There you go. <laughs> you can keep talking while I'm doing this. All right. Well, this is, this is what I, I want to say to you guys. How many of you are leading something? Raise your hand. How many of you feel like a leader? Raise your hand. Okay. Do you mean to bend it? Is it you're catching light? Is that better? Gotcha. All right. It didn't have any anything to like fixate. It's like uh, oh, it's thing on, yeah. And it was like it's just white. Help me. That's so funny. I I um want to talk to you guys about this. This quote has just haunted me. It's a really good quote that this leadership guy said once. He said, you don't rise to the level of your goals. He said, you fall to the level of your systems. And I was sitting there and I was like, man, that's such a good quote. I have to really think about that for a second. So everybody comes up with um, New Year's resolutions, right? Say it again. You don't rise to the level, level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And um, so you have a goal. Right? And goals are lofty and goals are good and it's good to have them and it's good to shoot for them. But as you're shooting at this goal, you need to be building a structure or a system to support how you got there in the first place. Okay? So, it's like, I want to have 50 volunteers this year. Yeah, let's go do it. It's like, well, yeah, but what are the systems that are going to accompany the goal so that we can actually get there? And then what are the systems that are going to remain in place so that we can keep supporting the growth that took place? So James Clear wrote this, and I thought it was a genius. You like that finger, I, I usually use a finger at my, my house here. Okay, so he talks about these three bullseyes, and I thought it was really good. He talks about how important identity is. And we, we, that carries a lot of weight. Let me tell you what he meant. Like, um, oftentimes, how many of you guys have ever wanted to lose weight before? Right? Now, that's an outcome. So a lot of times, people focus on the outcome, and they say, I want to lose 10 pounds. And it's like, great. That sounds good, right? But they, they start from out here, and they say, I, I want to lose 10 pounds, and I'm going to um, eat better. And that's part of the system. But the emphasis is on the 10 pounds, but they still have the identity of an unhealthy eater. Because the identity doesn't change, the systems don't change, and the outcome comes, but then it goes again, it leaves. So like, um, let's say someone's trying to like, stop smoking, that's the outcome. And somebody goes up to that person and says, uh, would you like a cigarette? And the person says, no, I'm trying to quit. That's an outcome. So different than saying, no, I'm not a smoker. Yeah. No, I'm a non-smoker. 
you guys see the difference? Everybody in this room has to decide that you are a leader. Not that you're going to try to get the outcome of a good leader. You have to decide that you are a leader. And at the same time, you need to have systems in place that a leader would have in place so that you can actually believe you are a leader. Okay, going back to that verse this morning when he said this, um, if you are children of Abraham, then do the deeds of Abraham. If you're going to claim Abraham, then have the systems that Abraham had. He was a friend of God. Yeah, so you, you guys need to have the systems that he had and quit claiming his identity. Does that make sense? And the same thing's so true for leadership. Once you just start to just take baby steps in trying to figure out how to be a better leader, you actually begin to put on the identity of a leader. And you become more confident at it, and you become better at it. But it's just small, small steps, very simple steps. The first step I started with was right here. And I said this to myself. I need to be better at motivating people, and I need to tell them why. And I'm not going to start a meeting until I tell them why. And I'm going to do it because I'm a good leader. And now I fumbled through it, but eventually I didn't have a meeting without saying why. And then I actually began to put on the identity of a leader. That's what everybody needs to do. You need to figure out what you need to do better. Once you start doing it, you'll actually start to believe that you are a leader. Everybody needs to have that identity as you're leading things. Okay? Are we still good? Does anybody have any questions? I got it then. Well, you just said that you have to change the identity and the systems to get the right outcome. So, but you also said to change the identity, you have to put the system in place? Yeah, so because it's, seems... look at that dripping. What, what, what I'm saying is this, it's like um, people want to claim the identity without the systems, and it's dead. You're just talking, you're just, you're just saying things. Can you define systems for me? Sure. Um, are, are you a, uh, so the identity is, um, I'm a Bible reader. The system is I read the Bible. Do you know what I mean? So the system is the schedule, the, the habit? The, the habit, day. yes. So like, how many of you um, uh, want to be like Jesus? There's a system to it, and it's pretty much your alone time with Jesus, right? Because you're going to become the one who you're with. And, and that's a system. People say, well, no, like my, my prayer time is just sporadic. Well, then so are the fruits of the Spirit then in your life. You, you know what I mean? Like there, there comes a point where there's consistency, and that consistently, consistency reinforces your identity. But if you don't have the consistency, then you're not reinforcing your identity. And that's what we actually need. All right. Can you guys bear one more thing? Can you bear it? Can you guys you can bear anything. Uh, pull out the, uh, the Eisenhower decision matrix. Oh, do I have Parkinson's law in here? Oh, never mind. Pull out Parkinson's law. Yes. You introduced me that, right? Oh, yeah. I, uh, it's called leadership tool Parkinson's law. Looks just like this thing. Yep, I talk about it there. OK, I'm going to try this. My parents are retired. Her name's Alice. I love Alice. Alice was a great mom. I actually live with my parents now. They have an in-law suite off my house. And um, she used to work hard, like really hard. She worked like 45 hours a week. And um, 
she had a, a pretty big house that she had to take care of. She cleaned it. Um, she, did, she had tons of relationships. Like she, she, she volunteered at the church. She was in charge of ministries. Like she did so much stuff, okay? Now she doesn't have a job anymore. So that's 45 hours a week she has. She um, doesn't volunteer at the church like she used to um, just because she doesn't have to. Um, she still volunteers, but not in the same capacity that she did when she was at the United Methodist Church. Uh, she now works for me at my church. Um, but do you know what she says? And she never said this when she was working 45 hours a week. I just can never find the time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You have all day. She's like, no, I, like, I, I got to get to the grocery store. I have to shower. I have to get ready. Yeah? And I'm, I'm booked up. And I'm like, what? that doesn't make any sense to me. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Now that I'm retired, I'm busier than I've ever been. Yeah, what? And it's like, what? How'd that happen? I have people come up to me who I know have a very light schedule, and they say, I am so busy. I'm like, what do you mean? And this is it. Are you guys ready for it? It's called Parkinson's Law. And it states this, the time you have is the time it takes. So um, I do this thing with my son. He's four years old. And I'll say, we got to get dressed. Come on. We got to get dressed. It doesn't move. I say, we got to get dressed. Five seconds. Five, four, three. And he just starts moving, right? Yeah. And then I'll say, five, four. And I'll take off his shirt. And I'll put on his other shirt. Five, four, three. Takes off his pants. Five, four. Everything's five seconds. And we're done in 30 seconds, right? Well, why? Because without a deadline, he doesn't move, okay? Everybody, um, for pastors oftentimes, they, they have all week to get their sermon done. It takes them all week to do their sermon. For, um, if, if you have to get to the grocery store by this date, it'll take to that date until you get to the grocery store. The time you have is the time it takes. We tend to work expand so as to fill the time available for its completion. You can. It says, um, work complicates to fill the available time. If you wait until the last minute. So Jay's ever wonder like how all these businesses made it? Everyone's like working from home. It's like. Somehow they got it done. Yeah. And it, it's like, well, how much talking was everybody doing in the office? Like how much hanging out was everybody doing now that everybody's at home? Their kids are there. How are they doing any work? But all the work's still being done. In 10 hours a day, you have time to fall twice as far behind your commitments as, a, as in a five-hour day. So work contracts to fit in the time we give it. So what are the practical commitments? Self-inflicted deadlines must be applied so that work is efficiently completed. If deadlines are not created and supported, work that is not urgent will never be completed. We will find ourselves working in the business and never on the business. And what I mean by that is that if you guys don't afflict your own ministries with deadlines around goals, you'll never get it. So this is what I did with my people. I said, you have six months to increase your volunteer capacity by 20%. Every month I met with them, you got five months. You have four months. Where are you at? Three months. Where are you at? Two months. Where are you at? One month. And everybody's scrambling that last month to fill the deadline. And they did it, right? But things don't get better without an expectation of a deadline. Right, Because if there's no deadline, then there's no hurry to get it done. That's often what happens. So I'm glad that I said that. Now go to the Eisenhower decision matrix right here. For me, this solved my problems in ministry. This solved all my problems. So 
I knew that I had to be a better leader, so I had to put self-afflicting deadlines on myself to actually become a better leader, which means that I had to give a day to myself where all I did was work on leadership. Okay? So now, you don't have any more problems in leadership? Well, I have problems in, still in growing in leadership, but like the problems I used to have, whoa. You know what I mean? But what ended up happening is like you might say, well, I don't have a whole day to give leadership. You don't have to give a whole day to it. You can give a half hour to it. Like you can give a half hour to leadership every week where you just say, you know what, this half hour I'm gonna give towards leadership. And this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call um, my people and check in with them and just see how they're doing. Give everybody like maybe just five, I'm gonna call four people, give them five minutes, catch up with them, see how they're doing. Tell them thank you so much for volunteering in the ministry. This is why it matters. And bang, you just feel like a better leader because you actually just led better. You know, and it wasn't that much of a time. And then all of a sudden, your volunteers are coming in. They're not calling off as much, and they're standing up a little bit more straighter, and they're taking what they're doing a little bit more seriously because you stopped doing the ministry, and you started leading the ministry, right? So if you guys are familiar uh, with Stephen Covey's book, I read this the first time, second time, third time. It didn't hit me until um, I figured out Parkinson's Law. I want to read it to you now. It says, considering Parkinson's Law, the do quadrant. Do you guys see the do quadrant? Everything that's important and urgent is constantly expanding to fill our time while the decide column is left unaccomplished in a work environment. According to Stephen Covey, that is the most critical work, things that are important but not urgent, like leadership development. So let me say this. Um, how many of you are married? When is marriage ever urgent? When there's a crisis. When there's a crisis. And there's a crisis because we let it, the crisis come because we didn't really maintain the marriage. Yeah. Is marriage important? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it urgent? Not until it is. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Is, when is prayer urgent? Prayer will never come and knock on your door and say, hello, let me in. It's time that we do this together. Never does it. When is reading the Bible urgent? It's the most important thing but it's never urgent. The most important things in your life are never urgent. But the urgent things will always take up your time. And then according to Parkinson's law, you're going to take those things that are urgent and seem important and expand them to take up your whole week, leaving you no time to do what's not urgent but very important. Exactly. Okay? Once I realized that, I filled my time with the decide column, and I decided that these things are the most important things I can do. So a lot of times we think that the most important things we can do in the ministry is the ministry. It is not. It is leading the ministry outside of the ministry. It's calling your volunteers, telling them how much you appreciate them, having a relationship with them, helping to motivate them, helping to develop them, and teach them what a good job and bad job is. Right? That's the most important thing that you could be doing in ministry, not ministry, is leading the ministry. You guys following me? But we, we get to the night where the thing's happening, or the Sunday morning where the thing's happening, and we're like, we're there, and we're like, oh man, I hope this is going to go in a certain way. Meanwhile, we could have cut out space to decide that this is the time that I'm going to be intentional and lead well, so that when the ministry comes around, the people who are doing the ministry do it well. So so the word that I'm hearing mm -hmm. from you to me is stop focusing so much on the service and spend a lot more time focusing on the servants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's the people. It's, the, it's, it's them, right? It's them. You want them to do the work of the ministry, 
And the reason why they haven't done the work of the ministry yet is because they're still waiting for someone to lead the ministry well. You know, the moment that we get better at this stuff is the moment that they're going to be more motivated, more developed, have more trust, more relationship, and all of a sudden they're a lot more excited. Because this is what I saw before I came here. I wanted to tell you guys this. Do you guys remember Parcheesi? Was it Parcheesi? Trivia Pursuit? Trivia Pursuit. And it has these like pie pieces. Do you remember these things? Oh, that's really off. I was thinking like, oh, I'm dead on. But look at that. Okay. Um, you have a preaching ministry at this church. There's a youth ministry at this church. There's a clothing ministry at this church. There's an usher ministry at this church. There's a worship and tech ministry at this church. This, that is what the church is, though. That is the church. But we don't see it that way. But this is Gateway, and these are the tribes at Gateway. You guys follow me? And these tribes have leaders. And these leaders that are here... Like, like that, those leaders need to expand these ministries, and they're not expanded with people, they're expanded with volunteers. And then those leaders are gathering more leaders towards them to help support the growth. Okay? That's, but that's not what people, people don't want to, don't want to focus on this kind of growth. They just want the preaching to be hot, right? They just want the, something to happen during prayer. They just hope the worship set goes well. And it's the systems that's behind these ministries are actually causing them to go well or not. Because you can have, the Holy Spirit can, can rush through this place, and I've had it at my church. Holy Spirit came, wrecked us completely. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is awesome. And I'm like, is this just how it is now? Yeah, you know, and I'm just like, every Sunday, I'm just like, here we go, here we go, you know, what's God going to do? And that whole time, with his grace, I could have been building something underneath of it, right? Like now, like, I, I just want to, I didn't build a system for God to move every Sunday. I didn't do it. I just assumed that he was just going to move instead of building a system for him to move, instead of having a system for people to express their gifts well. By the way, let me tell you what I want to do. I think I've already told you this. I want to have a prophetic booth. Have you ever had anybody give a prophetic word? And you're like, hmm, that's interesting. You know? Have you ever had two people who didn't know it give the same prophetic word? That gets real interesting. You know? It puts a lot of power on it, too, because it's actually been emphasized supernaturally. Right? That's why I want to, like... I want a, a booth that you go into and you speak a prophetic word into and you come out of it. And other people who get a word can go in there. And if we see a thread of what God's saying, we, we want to release that and say, guys, this was confirmed by four or five people that this is what God wants to do. That gets me fired up. And they didn't talk to each other. And they didn't talk to each other. And if they did, they're sickos, you know. But <laughs> they're, they're just sickos. So anyway, if you guys don't decide that in a certain time frame that you're going to lead, the ministry doesn't get any easier. And what will end up happening is we'll just blame the people. See, these stupid people. Nobody wants to, nobody loves the Lord, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, like, we don't want to do that. Remember what I told my son? I said, you're responsible for your mother's answer. I said, you could have told her why. You could have, you could have spent more time telling her and selling her on why she needed to let you do what you wanted to do. This precise conversation I have with my boys, with their mom, I'm like, you guys are acting like explaining to her how she's not fair is going to motivate her. You can just take good care of her heart and she'll want to give you the world. Yep. You know? I know. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, that's like super ownership. Many people don't want to do that. Many people don't want like, I, I want to know what the problem is. I, I want to know like where I'm missing it. I want to know, because I only have this life to fix it. If I could be doing a better job, someone please tell me so that I can just do a better job because it's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's about the Lord and that if, if me improving myself is actually going to help God accomplish what he wants done, I'm in, right? And so I know that there's time for me to be a better leader, and so I have to make time to be a better leader. When I make time to be a better leader, I actually put more of the identity of being a good leader on, and I feel like one, which causes me to act like it more. Then all of a sudden, I'm developing more and more habits of being a good leader. Does that make sense to you guys? Because that's, that's what I want to ask you guys to do. I'm going to pray, but then I want us to just take a moment, and I just want to, and we're going to ask questions if you need to ask questions. But we're going to look at these four things, and we're just going to come up with one or two baby steps on how to be a better leader, okay? So I'm going to pray. So Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leadership that's here. I pray, Lord, that, that there would be practical steps in how we can be better leaders and that you would show us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, I want you guys to look up here and pick out the, the one of these things that Maybe it doesn't have to be the hardest thing for you, but it's the one that you're not, not maybe doing the best in. And I want you to ask the Lord what you can be doing better in that area. So wherever it is that you lead, let's say you pick out uh, motivation. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, how can I be more motivating? What does that actually look like? What does it look like and, and how am I practically supposed to do that? Or maybe it's technical. Maybe some of you guys have already done it. So just take a moment and then I'm going to ask you guys what you guys came up with in about two or three minutes. Okay, And maybe you've already got the answer from us just talking tonight of what you need to do. But I want you guys to share what kind of steps you need to take moving forward. Maybe it's just one baby step. All right? But the technical part and the motivating people, like, I guess I'm just kind of slipped. I don't know. There was just well, I don't, th- I don't, yeah, I think, I think it's an ID issue. I don't think we see ourselves as leaders, so then we don't do what leaders do. I in the church. We see ourselves as brothers and sisters. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so we don't, thank God you're here. You know what I mean? That's usually the stance we take as opposed to, I'm the leader. These are the expectations. This is a good job. This is a bad job. Let's have a relationship. And at the same time, let's do a good job. So what I was going to say was I had a tech director. And we were talking about leadership a lot. And I could tell he was being intimidated because he didn't feel like a leader. And it's not what he signed up for. And oftentimes, people are really into things or people. And he's... He yeah. thought of himself as someone who had the technical skills with the, with the machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I was worried about him because I didn't want him to feel isolated. But at the same time, like, you, we hired you to build teams, right? So you're, you're going to have to deal with people, and that's going to have to happen. Poor guy. Yeah. And um, so this guy, this training that you're getting, these, all these little worksheets came from me. What I did was I took my 
ideas, right? And all these aren't my ideas. Some of them are, but some of them aren't. Like Eisenhower's decision matrix. I didn't come up with that name. Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower did. But it's a, what I ended up doing was I just kind of introduced some of these ideas. And I was nervous about him because I could tell that he was kind of pulling back a little bit and um, questioning himself whether or not he could lead. He now, he leads a tech team, he leads a build team, and he leads a media team, and he leads another team, a building team. No, a building team, stage team, media team, tech team. He leads four teams. We hired him to lead one. He got addicted to leading. <laughs> and like, so he began to see himself as a leader. And I remember the first time, time I was sitting there, like, um, I don't always know what's gonna happen during the service because I'm not, I know that I'm supposed to preach, but I don't know what the video announcements look like. I don't know what they're gonna say. And um, I just get an order of service and it says, uh, Corbin makes an announcement. And Corbin was his name, is his name. And he gets up there and he goes, hey guys, my name's Corbin. And I'm, I really, he goes, I really believe that this building is the Lord's. And the way it looks, it doesn't look like it's the Lord's building right now. I wouldn't let my own house look this way. He goes, there's a lot of things that need fixed and I'm gonna personally fix them. I would love it if you guys joined me and helped me. I'm filming a build team. And it was like... That makes me want to cry. Yeah, and he, awesome. he like recruited all these people, but he's an implementer. So he's going to do it if you're not going to... total ownership. Yeah. And, and he, just, he just crushed it. And he leads all these teams now. And I'm like, dang, I don't even lead as many people as he does. You know? But he just, he just caught fire. But all he did was just take little steps in leadership till he saw himself as a leader. That is the issue. It's like every person in this room sees themselves as a leader to a degree. And it's like, well, what if you saw yourself as a leader to that degree and then to that one? Because you actually set up a system to do it and made the time to make the, decided to schedule a time to do it, you know? And that's all it takes. And then all of a sudden you're actually like really kicking butt at leading. And then leadership actually sets the tone for the whole congregation. So if you have people who see themselves as leader that are actually leading well and doing these things, that just sends a wave through everybody. And all of a sudden, there's an excitement. It's like, well, why is everybody excited? Well, because everybody is starting to do the ministry, and they're being led well. They know why what we're doing as Gateway Fellowship definitely matters mm -hmm. for making a difference in people's lives as the kingdom people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then and sharing testimony about uh, being a disciple and making disciples, you, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what this means. And last week, this happened for this person, and this person made, took the first step in being a disciple. So this is, this is what I would challenge, with, challenge you with you guys. I'll put this in the assessment, is that if you're going to challenge people to uh, be disciples and make disciples, they actually need a blueprint of what it looks like to take those steps, and it needs to be known. And I'd have become a volunteer as one of those steps. You know what I mean? So this, at this church, this is what it means to be a disciple. We do this, 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 and this. And the last step is leadership. And we invite people into that step. Does that make sense? But it, it, just, it just can't be vague. And like, no one's excited sometimes. Like, you know, like your, your personality isn't going to be excited to do that. Set up a system around that. I wouldn't either. But somebody, yeah. somebody is. I, if I created a system, the challenge would be who's going to manage. Yeah, manage that system. Yeah. yeah. Because I have, I, I have those, those volunteer cards. I need to give them to somebody. I'm not going to manage our volunteers, right? But I have to give those to somebody. And somebody is going to have to be over the discipleship process. And so anytime we hear discipleship, what do we think of? Classes. 
That's all, that's what we, what, did you take the discipleship classes? It's like, well, time out with the whole class thing. Like there, there's a place, yes, like where we learn basics and people need to learn the basics. But um, it's like, well, like one of the basics is we serve. And here's the avenue to do that. And once you figure out how to do that, the next step is having a prayer life. And this is what prayer looks like, right? Real basic stuff, but really important stuff. And so then you just introduce a basic thing. And it's not like, hey, guys, we're going to put you through a 12-week discipleship program. Come out every Wednesday, and we're going to do this thing. No. It's like we have little solid commitments, and this is what it means to be a disciple. Now, learning can be a part of it. I'm not saying that learning can't be or, or even shouldn't be. But what I'm saying is it's like there's, there's got to be a step process in which people can gain ground with a decision or commitment on a Sunday. You know, I'm going to commit to doing this. Oh, my gosh, I just made it to the second base. You, you know what I mean? And it's like, how are they going to do that? And it's a great question. And some of you in this room already know what it is. And all you gotta do is put it down on paper and introduce it to Tim, you know, and it's done. And then somebody needs to manage it. And there's somebody, in, maybe not in this room, but there's somebody in the church that, that's called to do it. You know, and it's a matter of finding them. And the more relationships you have with people, the more you'll find out who it is. You know, and this doesn't have to be done tomorrow. But it's like, okay. Because at the end of this assessment, what I'm going to present to Tim, and he'll probably present it to everybody, is it's going to be like, okay, here are the things that I would do. Here's the, the amount of time I think it would take to do them. And all you got to do is put somebody over these and start delegating these small itty-bitty steps. And they're just itty-bitty steps. And you just kind of overtake them. I'm still working on mine. There was uh, 36 steps on them. One of them was to paint the entire outside of the building. 36 steps on... No, 36 steps on, on the coach who came in and assessed us gave us 36 things to do. That, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. I want to see that whole list. Okay. I'll give it to you. Thank you. But yeah, like one of them was to paint the outside of the building. Well, that was thir- that's a $30,000 step. And <laughs> it takes six months. Step four. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a cost to some of these steps. But the outside of the building looks great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw the, the fake mock-up, the digital mm-hmm. mock-up of what yeah. it would look like. Yeah. Well, right now, we have everything up but the wood. We're waiting for the spring to do the wood. Because the person who, who we're asking to do it said, I really don't want to do this in the winter. And we said, okay. Because he's doing it for free. Do the neighbors like it? No. <laughs> they, don't like, they don't like change. They don't like change. <laughs> they, don't, they don't give or tithe either. Oh, they don't attend. Great. Yeah. So um, that, that's all I have for you guys. But that... What I love, what I like, and I'm going to finish with this. I'm actually going to finish. This is my last point. I love, I love when the ball's in my court, because if the ball's in my court, then I can do something about it. If the ball's in somebody else's court, there's nothing I can do. And so if the ball's in my court and leadership is something that I can do better to improve things, then that's what I'm going to do. That's going to be better. It's not somebody else's job or somebody else's role for them to lead what it is I'm leading. God entrusted it to me. And one day, God's not going to say to me, yeah, he's, going to, he's not going to say to me, did you do that work that I asked you to do? He's going to say, did you lead those people in the work that they were supposed to do? And it's like, well, I, I know I did it myself. I called you to lead it. I didn't call you to do it. That was for them to do. You're keeping their rewards from them. I called you to lead them, not do it. You guys get what I'm saying? So we just want to do, we just want to do better at that. So... That's all I have. I'm not going to make any more points because I'm tired of hearing myself talk. All right? So let me just pray for you guys one last time. Father, I I pray for this place. 
Um, let leadership rise. Let people put on the identity as a leader. Let them have systems and uh, times where they set apart to do leadership. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless you guys.